Well, good morning. Um, this morning we're going to, we're, we're, we're looking at the third in our series on gospel habits, and we're going to be looking at uh, joyful service. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, if you want to follow in your own Bible, if you want to follow the reading, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 18 verses. So it will be up on the screen, but if you want to follow along, I'm reading from the Christian um, Standard Bible, CSB. So Philippians chapter 2. So it says there, If then there is any encouragement uh, in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete, by having the same, the same, thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as Jesus, as Christ Jesus, who, existing in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and, and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I don't run or labour for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as we have read this passage and as we're going to think and reflect on it more, we have sang rightly this morning that you are without rival, that you are without equal, that you are exalted far above all gods. And yet we read in this passage of your humility in not just becoming a human being, but becoming a servant that you came not to display your might and your majesty and your kingship and your authority, but that you came to present yourself as a, as a gift, as a sacrifice, 
so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be accepted. So we pray this morning that as we spend time looking at this passage, we pray that you would give us a gentle spirit, that you would remove all pride from us, that we would seek to be more like Jesus in his humility and in his service, so that when we call ourselves Christians, people can see the servant Christ in us. So speak to us, empower us this morning from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, this is the third in our series um, in Gospel Habits. Mark has started the series with courageous faith that persistently trusts in God, even in the midst of opposition and even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And then he spoke about empowered love, love that loves God, and love that loves other people, even the, for want of a better description, the unlovable, because of the love that we've received from God. Love that overcomes evil with good, love that makes forgiveness and reconciliation possible. So as I said, this morning, the third gospel habit we want to look at is joyful service. And really, I want us to think about two things and, and, and split though that phrase, joyful service, in two. And the first question that comes out of this title, joyful service, is, well, what is service in the first place? And that definition is both easy and challenging, but... Not only once we've defined what is service, well, then the question becomes, well, why should service be joyful? So as I said, what is service? Well, service is anything that you do for God or anything that you do for others as if you were doing it for God. Now, that's not my definition, and that's not a dictionary definition of service that's a biblical definition of service. So, for instance, we're told in Colossians chapter 3 uh, that it says, whatever you do, so that's fairly broad, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. So there's that definition that says, whatever you do, doesn't matter where you're specifically doing it for God or not, or if you're doing it for people, there's no difference. In fact, I noticed with interest that when uh, Jason read in our passage from Colossians that it says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that phrase, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, doesn't only just mean do it for, do it for the Lord Jesus, but do it as if the Lord Jesus himself was doing it. That's what it means to do something in someone's name. You're acting on their behalf. You're acting in their authority. There's a similar, um, there's a, a parable as well in Matthew's gospel. It's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's something you might be familiar with. And in this parable, it says that at the end of time, God separates people into two groups. Those who have accepted God as saviour and those who haven't. And they call one group, the group that accepted God, as God's sheep but it describes the other group as goats. And Jesus says to each of those groups, you know, to one group he says that every time that you fed the hungry 
or he says, to, sorry, he says to, to, the, to the people, when you fed, you fed me when I was hungry, you gave me something to drink when I was thirsty, you came and visited me when I was sick, and you came and you visited me in prison. And of course, this group are shocked and they say, well, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or needing clothes or sick? Or when were you ever in prison, Lord? And he says to the other group, but you didn't feed me. And you didn't give me something to drink. And you didn't visit me when I was sick. And you didn't visit me in prison. And again, they're shocked. And you said, but, you know, when did these things happen? Because surely if we'd seen you thirsty or hungry or sick, we would, have, we would have responded. And the parable finishes and Jesus says to these groups, I tell you that whatever you did or whatever you did not do for someone who was hungry or thirsty or sick, or in prison, you did it for me, or you didn't do it for me. That's Matthew chapter 25. So the Bible says that there is no distinction between serving people and serving God, that as far as God's concerned, you do it for him, irrespective of who you're doing it for. So that's the definition of service. Service is everything that you do, and lack of service is anything that you don't do. It's not just the things that you do for God, it's the things that you do full stop. Like I said, it's a very simple definition, but it's an amazingly challenging definition as well. So now we know what service is. I want to give you this morning three reasons why service should be joyful. And the first one follows on from those verses in Colossians. The first reason is that service shows gratitude to Jesus. So in the passage we read this morning in Philippians, Paul starts off by saying, If there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And what Paul is saying there is, if we really appreciate what God has done, for us, if we really appreciate the fact that God became a human being, that God came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve, if God came and gave his life on our behalf so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be accepted, so that we could be called children of God. Paul says, if you really appreciate it, if you really understand that, then you should be able to serve other people with the same love with the same servant attitude that you have received from Christ. So service should be joyful because it's an opportunity to show our gratitude and our thanks to God. Service isn't a way that we get ourselves saved, that we butter up God in some way, um, that, we, that God will then be good to us and that God will be gracious and merciful to us. Service is a response of the God who already loves us, who already has forgiven us, who has already accepted us. 
Another verse I want us to think about is in Romans chapter 12, where there's the same idea. The wee word, therefore, is very important in the Bible, but this is Romans chapter 12, and Paul has spent the past 11 chapters explaining how God has forgiven us and, and how we now are in a new relationship with God. So chapter 12 begins the change to say, well, this is what God has done, Therefore, how do we respond to that? And so it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in other words, if you appreciate what God has done, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, if you've got a Bible in front of you as you're reading these, there will be a wee star or a cross or a letter or something at the end of that verse to try and draw your attention to something, right? And what it's trying to draw your attention to is that those last few words, this is your true worship. Folk are not, in, that's not an easy translation because in actual fact, the same words can be read in a different way. And so if you've got a Bible, there'll be a know in the margin or down at the bottom that says this. Instead of this is your true worship, it says this is your reasonable service. And the reason why that we mark is there is because the word that is used by uh, the writer of Romans can be translated as either worship or service. It means the same thing. It's not actually either or, it's both. So just in the Bible, there's no distinction between what you do for God and what you do for people. Then also in the Bible, there's no distinction between what you say and what you do. So the Bible says, how do I know that I love God? Well, it says we keep God's commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for us. How do we show that we love God? We're obedient to him. As Mark pointed out when he was speaking about empowered love, love in the Bible is not an emotion. It's not just something that you feel when you get all tearful about someone or you get this strange feeling in your stomach when you see someone and you go weak at the knees. Love is something that you do. Love is action and it's the same with God. We can tell God that we love him. We can pray, we can come to church, we can sing songs of worship, we can read the Bible, and all of these things are good things and right things that as Christians we should be doing. But after you've praised God and after you've got off your knees in the time of prayer, after you've read your Bible and you've closed it, do you walk away and live a life of obedience to God, putting into practice what you've just read when we say, as we've sang this morning, that he is not just king of kings, but he is our king, do we live under that authority? Do we live our lives according to the things that God says that we should do? Do we show the appreciation of the forgiveness that we have received, the adoption that we have received that says that we are children of God, the fact that we now have the Holy Spirit living in us and empowering us and enabling us to be obedient to God? Are we living a life that shows that we appreciate all the countless other spiritual blessings that God has given us? Let me give you an example. 
I can tell my wife, Lorraine, who's now going to sit off to the side and go red, um, every day that I love her. And gentlemen, please take note, it is important every day that you actually use those words, okay? If you can tear up for your favourite football team, man up, look your wife in the eye and tell her that you love her, okay? But if I just say the words, it becomes a habit. It becomes empty. It's a good thing, but it can become meaningless. I've been married now for 36 years, 37 this year. Always good when you get that right. But it's not just that I tell Lorraine I love her. A cup of coffee in the morning helps. It's making her laugh. She just needs to look at me. <laughs> it's how I talk to her. It's how I listen when she talks to me. It's me making her feel safe, making her feel valued, making her feel appreciated. It's lots of little things over a long period of time that when I say to Lorraine, I love you, that actually gives those words true meaning, genuine meaning. And it's the same for us, that when we pray, when we worship, when we tell God that we love him, when we tell him that there is no one like him, it's the acts of service to God and to others in God's name that gives those words true meaning. So, as we serve God, it's showing our appreciation to him that we can serve God and we can serve other people, even the difficult ones, the hostile ones, the, uh, the ungrateful ones, the people that we sometimes think, well, if I'm just going to keep giving and serving people, am I not just going to be taken for granted? Are folk just not going to play my good nature and make a mug of me? Well, do you know, we put that fear aside because at the end of the day, we're not serving them. We're serving God. We're doing it for the God who loves us and who loved us even when we were the difficult ones, even when we were the ungrateful ones. It's gratitude that makes service joyful and not a burden. It's, it's gratitude that makes service a privilege and not an obligation, not something that we just have to do. The second thing that makes service joyful is serving fulfills the will of Jesus. So again, back in the passage that we read this morning, in verse 13, it says this, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So when we serve, we're fulfilling the will of God for our lives. Max already made this point, but it can't be said and it can't be emphasised enough. Gospel habits, whether it's courageous faith, whether it's empowered love, whether it's joyful service, and the other things we're going to look at in this series, they are not a to-do list that we've got to sit and tick off. They're not a measuring stick that we can look at and compare ourselves to others and, and get proud and think, well, I've got this habit, I've got this nature, this characteristic, and nor are they a big stick to beat us over the head and make us feel like failures, that I'm not doing this, 
I'm not doing that. Gospel habits are not something for us to do or for us to achieve. Gospel habits are not a list of rules to be kept, but they are a promise of the things that God will do in us and through us and to us if we surrender ourselves in obedience to him. And as I said, joyful service is no different. Read that verse 13 again, for it is God who is working in you. You're not doing it yourself. It's God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. It's God who is empowering us to do these things because we need to remember, the Bible keeps on saying, not only we couldn't save ourselves, you know, we talk about service this morning, but the Bible warns, well, before you became a Christian, nothing you could do, you could serve in any way you like, but none of the service, and no matter how long you lived, none of the service that you did would ever enable you to become a Christian, would ever change the fact that you have sinned and disobeyed God. But God saved you despite that. And nothing changes when we become Christians. We cannot just simply say, right, I need to be, you know, even things like praying or reading our Bible. How many of us struggle with that? And there's the illustration right away. It's not things that we can do ourselves, but it's things that we need to come and ask God to do in us and enable us and make happen in our lives. So, in Ephesians chapter 2, there's verses, there's verses in there we're very familiar with because the verses before this one in verse 10 says that he saved us um, not by works so that we could boast, but by, by faith, by grace, so that no one should, not by works, so that no one should boast. But then it goes on to say this, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, and here's the important bit, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So my earlier definition of service, what is service? Service is anything you do for God or you do for people in God's name. Actually, service is doing what God already has prepared for you to do for him and for other people in God's name. There's so many great things just in those verses, but one of the things it says is, when you became a Christian, when God accepted you as his child, God had a plan and a purpose from you from day one. It's not that I became a Christian and God thought, right, what can I do with Andrew? Right, well, that's fine. He, he, he can talk. We'll make him a preacher. Um, or um, he's good with electronics. We'll, we'll get him to help with AV and stuff like that. You know, um, it's... It's like God made me who I was even before I became a Christian. And the gifts and the abilities that God put in me from the day I was born became gifts that I could use for God's service. And it's the same for every single one of us. All of us can serve in Denison Baptist Church in lots of different ways. We can do it by preaching. We can do it by leading worship. We can do it by going up to Ridgery and knocking down a wall, uh, as Jason was talking about this morning. There may not be anything holy, it seems, about knocking down a wall, but trust me, service is anything you do for God. 
in anything you do for people in God's name. No one ever told you that when you became a Christian that knocking down a wall would be a holy thing. God is full of surprises. But God has prepared opportunities for each and every one of us on a personal and an individual level that we can serve him. So you can't serve my family. You can't serve my neighbours. We met one of our neighbours for the first time this morning. They just moved in on uh, Friday. You can't serve the people in the college that I work in. You can't serve the, the people that I meet in the streets around about Uddingston. Just in the same way as I can't necessarily serve your family. You have a circle of friends and colleagues. You have people that you meet when you go out to shop that I'll never meet. And so God has provided opportunities for you to serve in the family and in the community and in the circumstances that he has put you in. And God will provide opportunities for you to serve him in those circumstances, which will be completely different from my circumstances or from anybody else's circumstances. That's the privilege that makes service joyful, that God has got specific things for me, for you, that he will give only to me or to you, that he will not give to anybody else. There's an old hymn, I was joking to Lorraine this week, it seems every hymn I know is old these days, but there's an old hymn that says, there's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding, yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. So we serve joyfully out of gratitude for what God has done. We serve joyfully out of recognising that we are fulfilling God's will and purpose for our lives. And thirdly, service reflects the character of Jesus. Back to Philippians um, and starting at verse 5, it says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, Jesus didn't consider the power of God as something that he should use just for himself. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then later on, uh, verses 14 and 15, it says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Time and time again, the Bible records the humility of Jesus. And it's a concept that we can't grasp how could God, we speak about God as, as being all-powerful. We speak about God being present everywhere. We speak about God being all-knowing. How could God take that and change and become a human being? And not just that God, it always blows my mind. We, can, we think about it at Christmas and perhaps not any other time of year. When God came into the world, God didn't just come in and something appear 
out of nowhere as a fully formed human being, as a fully formed man, able to speak and talk and walk about. But he came into the world as a baby, completely and utterly helpless, completely unable to do anything for himself. He grew up as a wee boy, getting into all the things that wee boys get into, getting told to tidy his room, getting told to eat his veg, you know, going out and playing with his pals. You know, there's just a whole theology around about that that we just don't, we just don't get and don't fully understand. And the Bible doesn't even tell us half of it because after it tells us about his birth, it very much jumps forward 30 years to Jesus as an adult. And as an adult, we get reminded time and time again of the, the humility of Jesus. Jesus as a baby, Jesus as an adult being a servant, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, or in the Gospels, that we're told that on the night that he was betrayed, when he met with his disciples for the last time, it says that Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist, got a bowl of water, and set it down, and he washed his disciples' feet. And I want to point this out to you in case it's never crossed your mind. But when it says that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he washed 12 pairs of feet, including Judas's, the one who would betray him. And then it says that when he had done that, uh, we're told um, in the Gospels, it says that when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Compare the humility of Jesus with the attitude of the disciples. So we're told in our part of the Gospels that Jesus, they, they, they came to Capernaum. This is Jesus and his disciples. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. So Jesus, to use an expression we use today, Jesus walked the talk. He modelled the fact that yes, he deserved and deserves the title of Lord and teacher. But he was prepared to go and do the menial task that none of the other disciples were prepared to do. They were more important. They were more uh, concerned about which one of them was the most important. And I'm pretty sure that, apart from this incident that we read about them uh, arguing on the way about which one of them was the greatest, I wonder if that meant there was a wee bit of elbowing going round about that table when Jesus sat down with his twelve disciples. Which one would get to sit next nearest to Jesus? Who would get to sit in his right, which is the place of honour? Who would get to sit in his left? And then he get progressively further away. And I don't think the disciples all queued up and went after you, after you. And so Jesus had to do this example of what it really means to be a follower. 
He had to model what it meant to be a servant. Service is a joyful if we do it in the knowledge that doing so, that we have the opportunity to become more like Jesus. Do you know what the word Christian actually means? We have that label, but do we actually stop and think about what it means? It literally means to be a little Christ. That's the definition of the word Christian, a little Christ. Every time somebody has a baby, it's coming soon for some, um, the first thing that folks say when, they, when you bring out the baby is, who does he look like? Does he have his mum's eyes? Does he have his dad's nose? Does he have his mum's nature? You know, it, there's always, who does he look like or who does she look like? And when we call ourselves a Christian, we should have our father's nature. We should be able, people should be able to look at us and see that we are like our heavenly father. So let me ask you this morning, I've explained what service is, I've given you three reasons why service should be joyful, because it shows gratitude to God, because it enables us to fulfill the will of God for our lives, because it enables us to become like Jesus. Let me ask you this question this morning. Are you the person that people come to when they need help, when they need something done? Or they think, I'm not going near him, he's so grumpy. I'll go and get someone else, or I'll just, I'll wait, I'll figure it out myself. When someone does come to you and ask for help, do you see it as an opportunity to show gratitude? Or do you, um, if you do it at all, do you do it with a sigh, a roll of the eyes, just that whole body language that, lets you know, lets the person know what an inconvenience they are, what a sacrifice of your time and your energy, what an inconvenience they are. Joyful service transforms everything that we do into an act of worship. Joyful service becomes an opportunity to show gratitude to God for what he has done for us. Joyful service enables us to fulfill the purpose for which God made us and called us to himself in Christ. Joyful service enables us to reflect the character of Christ. And most importantly of all, joyful service transforms us into the likeness of Christ as we live in worship and in obedience to him. So I want to encourage you today and in the week that lies ahead, Look for the opportunities that God prepared before the beginning of the world, it says, even before you ever existed. Look for the opportunities that God has made for you this week to serve him and to serve others in his name and most importantly in his power. And I pray that in doing so that you will experience the joy of serving and the encouragement of serving him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the opportunity that you give to us, the privilege that you give us to be able to serve you and to be able to serve others in your name. And Father, we thank you that serving you 
transforms everything from the ordinary into the extraordinary. So we thank you that service can be reading our Bible or praying or worshipping you as we should. But we thank you that service can be something as simple as holding a door open for someone. Smiling and saying hello to someone and making them feel appreciated. Being patient and speaking politely to the man or the woman on the checkout at the supermarket. We don't see these things as being holy or spiritual. And yet, if everything we do is an act of service, if everything we do is an act of worship, then everything we do becomes an opportunity for holiness and to honour you and to glorify you. So we pray this week, Heavenly Father, that we will be transformed by this idea of joyful service, that you have made us with specific plans and purposes in mind. And so therefore, the specific things that we do each and every day become the things that worship you and honour you and show that we love you. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just, um, just to give us a few moments to, um, to respond to what we've heard this morning, this idea of service and why it should be joyful, um, there's two things. First of all, um, we have the communion table um, ready, and I want to encourage you this morning that if you have accepted Jesus into, into your life, if you know him as your Lord, as your Saviour, if he is your Father, if he is the example that you, that you need to follow, then I want to encourage you. I'm going to read some ver- I mentioned Isaiah 53. I'm going to read those verses in a wee second. And then um, after I've read Isaiah 53, um, Paul and Amy are going to come up and lead us again in worship. And during that time of worship, you, then I want to encourage you to come and to take the bread and the wine and to acknowledge what it, the example that it is, that it sets for us, it shows the service that Jesus came, the servant attitude with which he came. And as you take the bread and wine this morning, it becomes an opportunity for you to commit yourself and to ask God to will and to work in you, to fulfill his plan and purpose for you. Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep is silent before his shearers, he 
He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck down because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely when you make him a guilt offering. But he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many. He will carry their iniquities. Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he, was, he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels and bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. So this morning I encourage you, we were the rebels. Go to the table and give thanks for the fact that the price for our sin, the price for our iniquity has been paid because it was put on Jesus who gave his body and who gave his life for us. Take it this morning and drink in gratitude. Amen.